Hey guys, and welcome back to the FFP. Today, we're going to be doing a little bit of boom or bust, talking about, I believe, six players and you know, really just addressing the question, what will the 2020 season bring for them? Uh, some prosperous fantasy points or uh, will they fall flat on their face? For this specific video, because we're going to be doing multiple boom or bust videos this offseason, of course we are. It's one of my favorite videos to do. Uh, but for this specific video, I wanted to break it down into just players who will be playing on new teams this season. So as we're kind of sort of wrapping up the free agent period and getting into the draft, I thought that would be really fun to address these guys on new teams. What are they going to look like in these new uniforms? However, I did want to say that I won't be talking about every single guy. Of course, I'm only talking about six. That means guys like, say, Brandon Cooks or Todd Gurley, they won't be in this video. If you do want to hear about Todd Gurley, make sure to check out our must-own running backs because, yes, I do think in the right case, Todd Gurley is a must-own running back. If you disagree with me, go click, out, go click on that video and, and kind of hear my argument as to why. Um, but, of course, stick here for this video first and finish it because I think this is a really good one. And, honestly, I'm just really excited to talk about these guys. So let's get right into it. All right, to start this video, I absolutely think we should start off with Tom Brady signing with the Buccaneers. What's he going to do, boom or bust? Ultimately, I have to go with a boom on this one. I think many people agree with me. In fact, I think most people agree with me. He is a Hall of Fame quarterback going into a great situation. I mean, seriously, think about it. Jameis Winston just threw over 5,000 yards and 33 touchdowns, and no one will sign him. Why is that? Because I think a lot of those numbers weren't down to Jameis Winston's just awesomeness and his great throwing ability. It was down to him having some of the best weapons in the NFL. I mean, for real, break it down, look at it. Chris Godwin, 1,300 yards, nine touchdowns. He generated a pass rating of 121 and had a 75% catch percentage. And he might not even been the best receiver. Mike Evans. Mike Evans had 67 catches over 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns, but he did it in just 13 games played. And in fact, even that 13 games played is a bit of a skewed number. In the 13th game they played against the Colts, he got injured in the first quarter. It was actually in the first quarter of a 38-point win over the Colts, in which that could have very, very well been another 100-yard game for Evans, another big game for him. And so actually when we look at it, he was on pace for over 1,500 yards and pretty close to 11 touchdowns. So for me... I really like Mike Evans. Both those guys are phenomenal options. There's no arguing it in my mind that that is the best receiving duo in the NFL. I fully believe that. Those guys love to stretch the field. In fact, they both finished top five in average yards per catch amongst receivers with at least 100 targets. Um, they're great. They're phenomenal. I don't think there's any arguing that. But, but the list just goes on and on for this being such a perfect situation. Bruce Arians came out and said that he thinks Tom Brady has one of the best deep ball arms in the NFL and that he fits the kind of the Bruce Arians offensive system better than just about any other quarterback in the NFL and that he loves having Tom Brady. They're super excited to add Tom Brady to that list. And again, if Jameis Winston can throw 33 touchdowns, I'm excited to see what Tom Brady can do. I don't necessarily think Tom Brady is going over 5,000 yards in a 50-touchdown season. Yes, he is a better quarterback, um, but he won't get as much garbage time as Jameis Winston did. After all, Jameis would throw three picks in the first half, and then that means he's getting an extra 15 to 20 passing attempts in the second half. You know, blah, blah, you get it. Uh, but ultimately, Tom Brady is a great quarterback, and I do wonder what his added efficiency and his added production and talent to that offense will mean for the numbers and for his fantasy numbers, certainly better than had he stayed in New England. In fact, According to Pro Football Focus, against what a lot of people believe, he has not aged or had any issues at all. Despite the fact that he'll be 43 next year, he just finished last season 
um, as the most accurate quarterback in the NFL when throwing to cover receivers. That is a metric and a stat that I found according to Pro Football Focus. If you'd like to check them out, um, they do a lot more stats. But ultimately, this is a great system to be in. And in fact, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are not known for having a great offensive line. But their offensive line rated 10th best in the NFL last year in pass blocking, which was actually better than the Patriots who had some serious issues on their offensive line due to injury, some guys underperforming, and just not having a, a great situation there at all. Ultimately, I think Tom Brady's got to be a boom. I love the situation that he's in. I'm not huge on drafting a quarterback early, but I am seriously excited about him. And I honestly have a hard time believing that anybody else isn't excited about his fantasy value. If you are concerned about him or you don't think he's going to have a great fantasy season, tell me why. Make your arguments in the comment section below, and I'll make sure to answer you and uh, uh, let you know what I think. For our second player, guys, I want to talk about Melvin Gordon. Um, of course, the question is, with all these guys being, do I think he is a boom or a bust? I'm going to go boom on Melvin Gordon. I like him for a lot of reasons. Yes, there is some nerves that I have about him playing for a new team, playing for the Broncos, some question marks for sure. But there's too much for me to like for me to not put this guy on the boom list. However, I do want to clarify that. You know, pay attention to average draft position. ADP makes a big difference, and I wouldn't take this guy in the first round or even probably the second, but he definitely has a place maybe in the late second or the third round or the fourth round or whatever where he definitely has value. But but let's get into it. First thing I want to address is uh, Melvin Gordon's one of those guys in the league who seems older than he is. He feels like he's been around the NFL for like 10 decades or whatever. He's actually just 27 years old, so I still think he's young enough to be in his prime, and I don't have any concerns about his age. just want to remind people of that, that I think he's young enough to go to a new team, make a transition, and still have quite a few solid years. And I do think he does have a few solid years, despite the question marks that people have. And really the one main question being, why did he have just 3.8 yards per carry last season? That is definitely a concern to be addressed. And there's something that definitely makes me a little bit nervous, but a lot less nervous than I probably would be. For starters, Austin Eckler, he didn't have an amazing yards per carry either. It's not like he was 3.8 and Austin Eckler was 5.5. That's not the case. Um, so that definitely helps him out a little bit. And their offensive line was bad. We'll address that in a second. But the biggest reason for me is that he averaged just 3.8 yards per carry, but he averaged 2.46 average yards after contact. That means 65% of his yards were hard-earned after taking hits, very physical, and that, of course, bodes really well showing us you know, what he is doing. He is earning. If he could just get under a good offensive line, he'd get a lot of help. And what I mean by that is their offensive line was actually pretty bad last year. Looking at it, they were the fourth worst run-blocking offensive line in the NFL. Now he bumps up to the Broncos, who are the 16th best run-blocking offensive line. So about middle of the road, but still a massive upgrade in blocking up front. That's going to go a long way. I also believe they went out and signed an offensive lineman this offseason. So again, another piece to that puzzle that's going to help out quite a bit. But there's a lot more to it. He's just one year removed from a 2018 season where he averaged a really nice 5.1 yards per carry not that long ago. So as a whole, the yards per carry for me is not that big of a concern. It is definitely a concern. It's something I'm looking at. But for me, all of the other numbers support him being a good player, so I'm not so much worried about that. Um, but for me, what I want to talk about next is the two things that make Melvin Gordon a very valuable running back and a very running back with very specific set of tools that NFL teams like. One is that last year he had 42 catches. That means he was on pace for 56 catches. Yet another year where he's averaging in that 50 to 60 range consistently for the last few years now, showing us that he definitely has PPR value and he definitely gets a PPR boost 
Uh, but further than more, more than that, I should say, um, it's not just the boost in fantasy points, it's the extra time on the field. It's the extra trust in usage that you're getting from uh, that running back and meaning that offenses are going to use him more and more. That's a lot of added value. In fact, if you add those 56 catches, or excuse me, if you... <laughs> struggling here. Um, if he would have played the whole year, continued on that place and had 56 catches, that would have been the ninth most catches among running backs last season. So again, fairly solid PPR boost. And you know what? We're playing in the 2020 season coming up. It is modern day NFL. And to have a running back who can do that, that's a big deal. Having specific tool sets like that are going to get you a long way. The other tool set that I like is he gets better and better and better the closer you get to the red zone. He's got 47 touchdowns in 67 career games. That's a really high touchdown rate, and that's a high touchdown rate for a reason. When you look at it, uh, in the red zone, he had 32 carries uh, and eight touchdowns last year. That means he was on pace for 43 carries and 10.6 red zone touchdowns. Uh, both were top eight amongst running backs. Meanwhile, in the goal line or five yards before the goal line, he had 15 carries for seven touchdowns. That's on pace for 20 carries and nine TDs, both third among running backs. Or was, would have been third among running backs had he played the whole season. The fact of the matter is, and the reason that I like him most is that he is a very special running back and that he does two things that not a lot of running backs can do catch out of the backfield and be good in the passing game, as well as being effective in the red zone. When we think about running backs who are effective in the red zone, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're bulkier, but they're not faster, they're not great with their hands, right? And yet somehow Melvin Gordon has managed to do both. And for that, I think he adds just a real piece to that arsenal there in Denver. I'm very excited to see what the Broncos can do with him. So ultimately, yeah, I'm going to go boom with him, uh, especially if you can take him at the right ADP. So now I want to talk about DeAndre Hopkins. He's next up on the list. Boom or bust. Tell you what, guys, I'm really excited to see what he can do in an Arizona Cardinals uniform. He is a phenomenal wide receiver, and there is absolutely no arguing that he is one of the most talented wideouts in the NFL right now. But I'm going to go against that, and I'm going to call him a bust for a very specific reason. I think he's a talented receiver who's going to have a great season. I think he's even going to have a very good fantasy season. But there's a lot of hype on him right now, and I think he's going to get drafted too soon. So for many people, he will be a bust, and here's why. Let me explain that in a little more detail before we even get into the numbers. What's likely going to happen, because I'm seeing what's happening right now with his ADP, and I'm seeing what's happening with his expectations and what people are talking about him, the hype train is real and it's strong and it doesn't seem like it's slowing down at all and I have a very big concern about taking him in the first round and he's consistently been a first round pick over the last few years but what will likely happen is the hype will build on him and he'll get drafted before running backs like um, Ezekiel Elliott or maybe he gets drafted before an Aaron Jones or you know a very talented running backs and doesn't quite perform to that value he's a guy who's consistently being one of the first six seven or eight picks in fantasy leagues over the last few years and he has earned it but I think this year that might be a little bit too soon to take him for me I'm going to take him at the end of the first round or the beginning of the second round um, and here's why Ultimately, he has been up here, best of the best, top, no arguing. And again, we're going to get into the stats. But what you've got is a guy who can't really do much better than he's already been doing. Am I right? He can't improve off of how fantastic he's been. And we'll talk about the stats because he has indeed been fantastic. But you still have the risk of a new team, a new coach, a new quarterback, a new offense, a new city, a new everything. 
there's risk involved there. And even if that risk comes out to play, he will still be a good wide receiver. Um, he could have a good year. I mean, think about it. He could go over, he could have a thousand yards and seven touchdowns. That's a good year. But that is a bust in the first round. If I draft a wide receiver in the first round and he gets me 85 catches for a thousand yards and seven or eight touchdowns, that's not what I wanted. I wanted more production out of that, and I would have preferred to take a running back. I guess suppose some of this does come down to philosophy and that I think you should take a running back in the first round. Um, but again, that's a bit of my concern. I want to address that. Let's look at the numbers. In 2019, he had 119 catches and a 70.8% catch percentage for 1,300 yards, seven touchdowns, and a passer rating of 106.6, or a passer rating generated. He also finished fifth in fantasy points, I believe. 2018, he had 120 catches for a 71% catch percentage, 1,600 yards, 11 touchdowns. He finished first in fantasy points in the year before that. He finished just shy of 1,400 yards, 13 touchdowns, and finished first in fantasy points. There's absolutely no arguing that he is a wide receiver one who should be a first-round pick. Here's where I get a little concerned. He was top five among wide receivers over the last three years, fifth, first, and first. But he was also up there in volume. He had the sixth most targets, the fifth most targets, and the most targets. This is a guy who was being targeted, targeted, targeted. Again, you get 168 targets one year. The year before that, 169. And the year before that, I believe, was over 150. But um, when you get that many targets, that's great. That equals fantasy production. But now you're going to a new team. I can't guarantee you're going to get 168 targets. And in fact, I don't think you will. When we look at it, DeAndre Hopkins had 146 targets. Uh, Fuller had 76 targets last year, whereas Larry Fitzgerald had 109 and Kirk, uh, Christian Kirk had 108. Now you're telling me right now, those targets have got to go somewhere. Are you really telling me that you think DeAndre Hopkins is going to go out there and have 150 plus targets? Meanwhile, those two other guys are each going to manage 100 targets apiece. No, those targets have got to disappear a little bit somewhere. And so my biggest concern and the biggest reason I think he's going to be a bust is that people will take him a little bit too early and you're not going to get the volume that you used to with DeAndre Hopkins. That's a major concern for me. Um, his efficiency will probably go up. I think he's going to be a phenomenal piece in that Cardinals offense. And I think Arizona is going to have one of the best offenses in the NFL. I'd be surprised if they didn't. Um, but again, can you really expect this guy to get 160 plus targets? I don't. And I'd be surprised if you did. And I'd love to hear some arguments as to why he would get that many targets. Uh, but I, I just can't quite go all in. And again, you're taking a first round pick who could very well see a two thirds drop or a one third drop, excuse me, in his targets. There's a little bit more to that. One, I like Deshaun Watson more than I like Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray's a good young quarterback. I think he's got a great, bright uh, future in the NFL. But he's not the way, uh, he's not as good as Deshaun Watson is as of right now. Watson threw six more touchdowns last year. He averaged an extra yards and a half, an extra yard and a half per play. He had 12 less carries and yet managed three more rushing touchdowns. And he averaged more time to throw, which means he was a little bit more mobile and he was able to buy more time, giving Hopkins time to run deep routes and get open. The fact of the matter is, as of right now, I think. Deshaun Watson is a better quarterback. Long-term, Kyler Murray will probably and very well could be a, um, a better career quarterback, but you're still dealing with a young coach and a young offense with a young QB who's going to be splitting throws with two other very talented wide receivers. For me, it's just a matter of volume. Volume is probably half the battle in fantasy, and 
he could take a major drop in that area in that category uh, but that's my argument against Hopkins I love the guy I've just got a little bit of concern hopefully you guys can understand that and you're not going to be too mad at me down in the comments section below but let's move on to our next guy I think I've made my point all right let's talk about David Johnson now ultimately guys I think David Johnson is going to be a bust in my book I think a lot of people are excited about him I think that you know looking back remembering how good he was for a couple of seasons people want to see him on a new team they want to see him succeeding I don't think it's going to happen um here are a few reasons why ultimately he was just too unproductive last year now maybe he goes into a new system and they suddenly just wave their wand of Bill O'Brien crazy weirdness and boom bippity boppity boo he's got the the boom back he's got that nice little oomph in his step so to speak but ultimately the numbers last year were bad in fact they were more than bad in my book I'd consider them pretty darn alarming um I posted this to Instagram a while back so I'll just read the research I posted to Instagram I guess save myself some time uh, but here's what I wrote I said last year he finished dead last in forced missed tackles per touch which is 0.08 he averaged just 2.05 yards after contact, a number that only Tariq Cohen finished lower than him in. So only one guy, basically second worst, which is pretty bad. Of course, it gets worse than that. According to Pro Football Focus, he had the worst elusive rating in the NFL, and he averaged a just woeful, awful 3.7 yards per carry. Now, what makes that particularly bad, because... Uh, Todd Gurley also had 3.8 yards per carry and so did Melvin Gordon but I didn't make a big deal out about those guys in fact I predicted that a lot of those guys would bounce back uh, but for me what makes it so concerning is when you look at Todd Gurley Todd Gurley had a low yards per carry but his yards per carry was equal to or better than the other running backs on that team whereas David Johnson went the other way well he was struggling um guys like chase edmonds had 5.2 yards excuse me chase edmonds had 5.1 yards per carry and Kenyon drake had 5.2 yards per carry in fact Kenyon drake tore it up i don't know if it's just how phenomenal drake was or maybe it was just all the other running backs stunk but when we look at it Kenyon drake was kind of the man over the final eight games of the season he had 643 yards and eight touchdowns on 123 carries he also caught 28 passes for 171 yards meanwhile the other Arizona running backs had 649 yards and six touchdowns on 157 carries the entire season Kenny Drake came in and lit it up and showed Arizona what it means to have a really solid running back and I've just got major concerns when your yards per carry is that bad and a guy steps in your offense and says no it's entirely your fault um essentially what that means but there are some other things I think that other people are expecting Ta, uh, excuse me David Johnson to have a bounce back season um, especially in PPR leagues I think a lot of people think he's going to have huge value volume in the passing game he'll definitely have some volume but I don't think it'll be enough to make up for the lack of production in other areas yes he did just set a career high passer rating generated of 123.8 and a career high catch percentage of 83.7 but he did it in a year in which he saw a career low in targets, yards, and catches in the passing game. So you definitely have to wonder, was he really more efficient or, or was he really that good in the passing game last year? Or was he in a good offense with a good quarterback, a good young quarterback, and that really helped keep his efficiency up? And that's one of the things I want to talk about is that. I think sometimes efficiency is great I love to talk about efficiency I love to talk about yards per carry and things like that but you have to compare the efficiency numbers to other numbers 
just as seeing his low yards per carry is even worse compared to the high yards per carry of his teammates, context teaches us things. And when you have very efficient numbers in the passing game, that's great. But when you have very efficient numbers with very low volume, that volume tells us those numbers of efficiency probably aren't as good as we um, are led to believe. We see this all the time with running backs who have, you know, 5.1, 5.2 yards per carry, and they look super effective on the touches they get. And coaches are saying, nope, we don't want to give them the ball anymore. They can't handle more carries. And we're kind of a lot of fans and fantasy owners are saying, no, just give him the ball. He's clearly fine. And yet I think sometimes we forget that. Efficiency is awesome, but it doesn't mean everything. You need to understand it in its context. My final point being things are about to get a whole lot worse for David Johnson, who is now going to the Texans, who had the fifth worst run blocking offensive line rating in the NFL last year. The fifth worst. One of the worst in the NFL they were stinking awful. That is very bad offensive line. And that's a major concern for me. When you go from a fairly good offense and you're the weak link to then you go to a offense that really struggles in the ground game, I don't see his ability to do it and to make plays on his own happening. Guys, I love David Johnson. Um, I liked when he had those good years. It was really fun to watch him, you know, when there was like what Carson Palmer there for a year or two and Bruce Arians and they were all together and it was really fun. And but I don't think I'm seeing that happening right now. I've definitely got some major concerns for him. And I don't think volume is going to make up for his production. I certainly could be wrong. But what scares me even more than that and what pushes me even more towards the bust category is seeing people get excited about him and taking him early and earlier. His ADP should not be rising right now. I definitely don't think so. But that is my thoughts on David Johnson. Let's get to the next guy. All right, it's time to talk about Stefan Diggs. Uh, as a Vikings fan, it is sad to see him go, but I'm also really excited to see what he can do as the team's number one wide receiver there in Buffalo. And I'm kind of excited for Josh Allen. He's finally going to have a real stud, big playmaker at wide receiver. I do like Cole Beasley and John Brown last year. They definitely performed well, but I don't think they're as good as Diggs, and it's going to be fun to watch for sure. Um, for me, I do want to clarify that I have a hard time calling Stefan Diggs either a, a boom or a bust. For me, he somewhere definitely fits in the middle. And, and I'm going to say boom under the condition that you don't take him too early. He's not a boom as a second round pick. Quite honestly, I don't like him in the early third round. But if you start getting towards that later third round, fourth, fifth round pick, then for me, he's a boom. and He's definitely got some huge value. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. I do have some you know, things about maybe his consistency. I definitely wonder in that offense and the style of receiver he is, if he's going to have some real highs and some real lows, if he's going to have a bit of a roller coaster season. Um, but as a whole, um, I think there's a lot to like. So let's talk about it. Ultimately, I'm just going to read off some stats and show you how good he was last year. I don't think I need to, to convince you, but I like to do it anyway. So here we go. He scored 218 fantasy points. That was 20th amongst wide receivers in PPR leagues. Of course, that's pretty good. Makes him a wide receiver too and a fair wide receiver too. And his .28 fantasy points per snap was 12th amongst wide receivers in PPR. That makes him a borderline wide receiver one in that category. And his 3.21 fantasy points per touch was 20th amongst wide receivers. 
Um, but he's a big playmaker guy and he's going to be um, kind of disappear at times for a whole quarter or whatever but then boom he explodes he has a ridiculous 18 average yards per catch that's top five amongst wide receivers and of course um, that goes right along with the fact that he is tied for the most receptions of 40 yards or more tied with guys like Kenny Galladay Tyreek Hill and AJ Brown so absolutely in a category of seriously stud wide receivers a category you definitely want to be in Finally, his 12.44 yards per target was third among wide receivers. Ultimately, he is a very efficient guy and a guy who's efficient in that he makes big plays. I don't think he's a PPR stud. I don't think he's going to go out there and get you 100 plus catches, especially when we've, you've got John Brown, you've got Cole Beasley. That role is already filled, but for a standard league guy, if you take him in a standard league, I definitely think he could be absolutely huge. And the reason that I like him so much is that personally, I think he is a perfect, perfect, perfect fit to be playing in Josh Allen's offense. He's not a big volume guy. I don't think he's going to see 150 targets, but the targets that he does see, he can make some really big plays out of, and that fits Josh Allen's play. Josh Allen is a very mobile quarterback with good legs. He's improving his arm and becoming a better passer, and he's going to be able to buy some time, move around in the pocket, you know, maybe move outside of the pocket, um, again, just buy some time and he's going to allow Stefan Diggs to run deep routes, to get open, to make those big plays and to take home run shots. I can tell you when you watch Josh Allen play, he wants to take those shots downfield. Um, and so he's definitely going to be able to do that. And again, it really fits the system quite well. You've got a receiver who wants to go deep and a quarterback who can give him the time to do it. That's a match made in heaven. And I think that's going to be very difficult for defenses who are definitely going to have to stay disciplined. By the way, if you don't believe me, yes, Josh Allen is one of the most effective mobile quarterbacks in the NFL. Last year, his nine rushing touchdowns not only led the NFL, but it also tied Michael Vick. And that Michael Vick only did that once. His best rushing season was nine rushing touchdowns. He only did it once in his career. And so dare I say Josh Allen is near that mobility level of Michael Vick. Not that good. I'm not going to go that far. But definitely getting to the place where we can compare them to at least say, hey, that's definitely something to consider. And... You don't have to believe me. When I say Josh Allen likes to throw the ball deep, you don't have to believe me because whatever. Um, I can prove it, and I can prove it right now simply by telling you that Josh Allen likes to throw deep because he has the fourth highest average depth of target among quarterbacks last season, among guys like Russell Wilson, who loves to throw deep to Tyler Lockett. Um, and I don't remember who the other quarterbacks were, uh, but you get it. That's a very fun offense to be in. They're going to run the ball. They're going to use their mobile quarterback, and they're going to throw deep. We're going to see a lot of big plays. Ultimately, this is a match made in heaven. The reason why I mentioned earlier that we're going to see some highs and some lows, and I think we're going to see some bad games from him, one, you got to play the Patriots twice. That's going to be tough. But ultimately, what we saw last year and what we'll continue to see, hopefully to a lesser degree this year, is Josh Allen and that Bills offense could play really great against bad defenses, but against good defenses, they struggle. And we tend to see that with big play wide receivers as well. That's very common to see from speedsters who love to run fly routes and post routes, is that a undisciplined defense and a secondary that's prone to mistakes will give up the 65-yard touchdown. And any defense that does that, Stefan Diggs is going to absolutely shred. 
But then you face a team like the 49ers or the Ravens, or you start to face some of those really solid defenses. They're disciplined and they know what you want to do. They're not going to give you those deep routes. They're not going to give you those easy big plays. And the cornerbacks are going to cover you a little bit tighter. And the coverage is going to be a little bit smarter. And in those situations, Josh Allen really tended to struggle last year. And the offense became incredibly stagnant. So ultimately... I've got a bit of concern there, but I think what we're going to just tend to see is not necessarily a bad season, not necessarily an amazing season, but a season with some really big games and some, some kind of bad games. But again, as a whole, I definitely have to put Diggs in the boom category. All right, guys, last guy we got to talk about in this video, we're going to talk about Austin Hooper. Um, for me, I'm going to have to go with a bit of a bust. And for me, that's because a lot of people are going to be taking him as a top four, top three sort of fantasy tight end. I'm not so sure if he's going to live up to that now playing in Cleveland. Last year, he finished sixth in fantasy points and sixth with 93 targets. He's definitely a volume guy, or at least he was in Atlanta. That was a big thing as to why he had such a good fantasy season. And, and yes, it did equate to fantasy numbers. However, you know, there are some concerns as to whether or not he's going to have that sort of volume in Cleveland. And if he loses that volume, is he going to be able to make up for that by being more efficient or not? In my book, I'm going to say no. And I think he's going to be a bit of a bust this year. When we look at it, uh, he finished just 27th in fantasy points per touch with 2.53 fantasy points per touch. That is pretty darn low at that position. And that's really low considering he was getting red zone volume. We always talk about how red zone volume equates to fantasy points, but I guess to Austin Hooper, it didn't necessarily do that. He had 18 targets, 12 catches, and six touchdowns inside the red zone. And again, he had only finished 27th in fantasy points per touch. Numbers like that do continue. He was 24th in yards per catch and 44th among tight ends in average yards after the catch. Um, so he really struggles to do stuff once he catches the ball. He's not the biggest playmaker. However, he does have an 80% catch percentage last year. That was fourth best among qualifying tight ends. So what we get is a tight end who's reliable. He's a good tight end. He's definitely above average, but he's not quite elite. He's not a Travis Kelsey or a George Kittle, and that's where some people are going to draft him at. He's also going to be going from Matt Ryan to Baker Mayfield, uh, who had a 14 points lower passer rating. So quite honestly, that's a downgrade at the quarterback position. There should be a downgrade in volume, and you're going to an offense with Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr. There's a lot of weapons. Um, ultimately, the big question mark is, is the efficiency going to make up for the loss in volume? In my book, I'm going to say no, and I think a lot of people are going to draft him too early, especially at the tight end position. I think at other positions, you're less likely to make that sort of mistake. But at the tight end position, I think people are worried. They only know two or three tight ends. They don't know a lot of depth. They don't want to risk it and not get a stud. So they're going to take this guy even though he's not that great. That's ultimately going to be a mistake. So when you head into your drafts, guys, have a plan. Get a different wideout, or excuse me, get a different tight end. Know where these guys are being taken. Do some mock drafts, and and hopefully, again, just have a better plan. Because I don't necessarily want to be stuck with this guy unless he falls. And I don't think he's going to fall as far as he should. But ultimately, that's my thoughts. I definitely have to think Austin Hooper is going to be a bit of a bust. It's not that he's a bad tight end. I just don't think he's going to do what he did last year. I don't think that Cleveland offense is going to take advantage of his skill set uh, because again, he is a very particular tight end, and that he's reliable, but he's not the big playmaker. Uh, and he's not the guy who's going to be able to do a lot after the catch. But uh, 
that's it for the video guys hopefully you enjoyed it hopefully you agreed with my opinions if not feel free to tell me i'm wrong just uh, hopefully be nice about it i'm a pretty sensitive guy but you guys really are the best thank you so much for supporting our channel for supporting us here at the ffp you guys have a great day and god bless